with you all. Uh, my name is Samson. Um, this last couple weeks, we've been talking through Acts 19. For those of us, for those of you who haven't been with us, uh, this week we'll complete Acts 19. And in the last couple weeks, we've seen some truly remarkable things happening in the life of Paul and in the power of the Spirit and through Apollos and these other men um, in Ephesus. And last week was no exception to that. And it, it was incredibly applicational and striking um, what we read um, last week with Paul asking, um, speaking in boldness um, before the people in Ephesus in the, in the synagogue for three months. And I, I've been, you know, this week been thinking about that, and I, I think for all of us, I know, like Tim talked about, that uh, evangelism, discipleship, gospel conversations can be challenging, and it can be very intimidating, and yet God has called us to that, and I think something we can learn from Paul and, and last week is that we don't do it alone, and we don't do it apart from or without God's help, God's equipping, um, God's wisdom, and, and God doing work alongside of us through the Spirit in people's lives, right? Paul, Tim talked about that Paul is both um, trying to resonate with people's hearts and with people's minds, and it, it is the, through the power of the Spirit that that's happening, and that us in speaking the gospel and speaking the truth, God is using that. God is the one changing hearts, and yet God has asked us to be actively involved in that. Something very interesting um, about Paul in this is that in other places he asked for boldness to speak um, in preaching the gospel. And we, like Paul, we need to be asking for that. And it's a prayerful life, an in intentional life that breeds this boldness that we talked about we see in the life of Paul um, which he seems like such a titan in, in the faith and writing all these letters and the scriptures and God uses so mightily and, and God is seeking to do the same in our own life. God uses any means. We saw last week that he uses a handkerchief, an apron, very simple base things to bring about his work of changing lives for his son's glory. And that's a very simple and yet profound thing that God is doing through these simple means. And we might think of ourselves as simple people, but God, God has chosen to use us. Um, I hope that's a, a blessing to you. The, the, the worst we can screw up in having discipleship conversations or speaking to someone on a plane or on a bus about Christ is God's grace. That's the farthest we can fall in, in sharing the gospel. The gospel does not return void. Um, turn with me now to Acts 19, starting in verse 21 as we uh, move on to the next section. I'd like to invite Tim up now. Thank you. I appreciate that. <clears throat> um, just when he was talking about screwing up, um, it reminded me, Lord gave me the privilege here just this last week of um, paying for someone's gas. And a lady showed up while I was pumping gas and she asked me if I would <laughs> pay for hers. And uh, I was very skeptical. I thought she was playing me. And so I was trying to figure this all out. And I felt like Lord was saying, you know what, son, doesn't matter. 
you get the privilege of showing her who I am. And uh, <clears throat> so I paid for her gas, and I'm driving down the road, and I thought, Lord, I missed it, didn't I? And you know how it is, that whole guilt feeling of like, ah, blew it. And yet it was just wonderful opportunity for the Lord to just teach my heart more. Hey, son, that's right. You did, <laughs> right? You did. But uh, hopefully that'll be something that'll be working in your own life and in your own heart. And the next time I give you another opportunity like that, you'll be uh, more tuned to what I want you to do in that. So every one of us just growing in all this, right? All the time. Well, welcome. Uh, glad to see you here. I have to give a special shout out to those dungeon dwellers downstairs. Um, I give them a hard time, as you guys know, and um, sometimes they give me a hard time back, but I know that they love me, and th this is how I know. And you're going to be a little jealous about this, but hang in there. I hope not to offend anybody here, but is that cool or what, huh? You got to get the t-shirt. Can you see that? Uh, it's a friend of the dungeon dwellers is what it says on there, and there's a few of them downstairs. Some, I'll, some unnamed person donated this to me, and I uh, said, I'm wearing it. That's how that's going to go. So uh, on the back, it says you can beat them or join them, and the best time is uh, when they have a potluck. So that's where I'll be, and I want to invite you guys to that too. So anyways, so fun, isn't it? I was thinking about this. Uh, man, my time's already flying by. I was thinking about this, though, with uh, giving them a hard time, and I thought, you know what, Lord, it, it is fun to do that. But there's also a seriousness about our fellowship together, a carefulness with each other and a concern for each other. And I just want you to know, I, I appreciate you guys being supportive of Samson here. I'm watching the worship team and I'm thinking, here's a bunch of young people who are willing to get up here and, and try, you know, and some of them might like, oh, you know, being nervous or whatever the case is. But when there's a fellowship that cares for you, uh, that's a really good opportunity for them. And um, there's other things going on oftentimes we don't know about. We have a single moms group that's starting up this fall, just wanting to give some support to single moms. We have a mental health group that's starting up this fall. Again, just wanting to give some support to people who are, families who are struggling in that area. We have an opportunity with one of our uh, missionaries over in, in Chicago with Curtis to be able to donate some uh, tools and supplies to him for the work that they're doing there in the inner city stuff in Chicago. So uh, just really neat. And we don't often celebrate that, right? Like we see some things from time to time, but just the opportunity to be reminded that God is at work in our own lives too. So if you're with me in Acts chapter 19, <clears throat> let's get started there. I don't know if Samson said 17 or 19, but 19 is where it's at. Turn with me to uh, chapter 19, verse 21. Let's get started. We're going to see God at work here. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that's going to show up or the thing that we're going to be talking about today and using the history of this lesson is that God is supreme, that he's sovereign, that we have actually seen in this last portion, last week, God at work doing some miraculous things and demonstrating that sovereignty. But if we're not careful, we will often miss that, <clears throat> excuse me, that same truth <clears throat> in normal life. And that's what we're going to see here in these last uh, 20 verses or so of Acts 19. Luke is recording a story, telling us about it, <clears throat> And you're tempted to just hear that and think, well, this is just, he's just given us the details of it. He's not. He's given us the details for a reason. And that reason is to challenge our hearts with this concept that God is supreme. Now, I believe that all you guys believe that. I believe that too, 
right? The Word of God teaches us that. But here's what I find. I find that oftentimes my circumstances of life are such that the actions that I respond to those circumstances in a way that reveals I don't really believe it. Here's how I see it. For me, I tend to uh, kind of function in a control environment. In other words, I want everything under my control. If I can make this thing happen, I'm going to make it happen. And I'm not trusting in God being sovereign. I think I have to be. Or I think we also go to this other end of it where we feel like um, we're a bit of a victim, like things are happening to us. And maybe we get angry with God for allowing all that to happen, like as if this isn't the best thing for us. And we're the ones who are determined. We're sovereign in our life as to determine what is good for us and what's not good for us. It requires an understanding of who he is to have a trust in him and an understanding that he is actually sovereign and that he is actually working towards our good. But the eyes that see that are eyes of faith. And we're going to see this as we go through. We're going to have to trust that this is what God is describing to us so that by faith we trust him in that and therefore then trust him in the circumstances of our life. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He longs for us to trust him. And so he gives us passages in his word that that teach us about that. So then when the circumstances of life are prevailing in our lives, we're able to trust him in that too, or, or at least willing to choose that. So if you're with me in chapter 19, verse 21, let's get started. When these things were accomplished, all that we've already been talking about here in this town of Ephesus and in this Asia Minor area, when all of these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, if you've cheated at all and read ahead, or if you know this story, you're going to find that from now on, as, as Paul leaves here, he's going to go to a number of other churches, and then he's going to circle back, and he's going to go right past this place. He's going to talk to them from a town called Miletus, the, the believers, the, the elders of this church, and then he's headed for Jerusalem, just like what he's saying here, right? He's headed for Jerusalem, but his intent is not to just stay in Jerusalem, but to eventually then go to Rome. That's what Paul is desiring. But as we read through the remainder of this um, uh, letter, we're going to find that it doesn't go the way that Paul thought. Here it's telling us in this verse that Paul purposed in the Spirit, that his Spirit was connected to the Spirit of God and deciding, hey, this is what I think God wants me to do. Why? Because when things were accomplished, God has done the work that he's been intending to do here. Actually, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I think it is, where Paul is writing to them and he says, listen, I'm coming to you guys, but I'm going to be a little while. He was coming so that he could gather some finances and use those finances to go take them back to the church in Jerusalem and provide some relief there. And he says, I don't want to come there and and have you guys collecting at the time. I'm sending these boys ahead of you. We'll get to that here in just a minute. I'm going to send some people ahead here so they'll help you get all of that. So when I come, all of this. But I'm waiting, he says, because there's a door that's opening up to me. There's an opportunity that's happening here in Ephesus. But there's also opposition that I'm facing. So he has an intention. He knows this is what God is wanting to do with me. And he actually writes a letter to the Romans as well, because that's where eventually he wants to go. The church is already established there. He wasn't a part of that. 
But he writes to them and he says to them, guys, I'm coming because everything from Jerusalem all the way up on the northern side of the Mediterranean Sea and all the way across there, I've accomplished all this that God has wanted for me to do. And now I'm coming to you and I want you to help me get on to Spain. That's where I'm headed for. So, so he's trusting God for these things. That's where we should be too, right? We're trusting God for the events, the things of our lives, for the direction in our lives. But oftentimes he doesn't always tell us what those are. Or oftentimes what we think they are, it turns out to be a little bit different than what they really are. So we can learn from this. So keeping on going with it, he says, So then, verse 22, So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia uh, for a time. That's going to be important to us. I hope to cover that when we get to the end. And it says then in the next verse 23, it says, and about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. So isn't it interesting? Paul is saying, I'm finishing up here. I'm going to send these guys ahead. They're going to get everything prepared. I've got a little bit of an opportunity here, and then I'm coming along behind you. And right at that time, then we have this commotion occurring. Is it chance? Is it luck or bad luck? Or is it the sovereignty of God? Is he actually in control or not? That is going to be an issue for us in our lives, right? We're going to have to wrestle with that throughout all of our lives because the circumstances so often contradict that or seemingly contradict that. It's not true, not with eyes of faith. About that time there arose a great commotion about the way for a certain man named Demetrius, he was a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation, and he said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Come on, there it goes. Come on, there we are. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people. Do you remember that? In fact, Samson mentioned this. Reasoning and persuading. That's what he was doing. He was engaging with people, wanting for their heads, wanting for their intellect, wanting for their understanding to be solid, to be grounded, to know what God says about that, and wanting for that to impact the heart so that they were motivated, moved by that, not just having facts, but understanding who God is and placing their trust in him for their salvation and walking with him and trusting him for their life, circumstances as well. And and Demetrius has given us proof of this. This is an unbeliever saying, look, you guys know he's persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Now, don't you think that those words should have been ringing in his ears? Don't you think he should have heard his own words and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're calling these gods, but we're making them He's accusing us of like, things that are made by humans aren't actually God's, right? Things that are made by hands. Shouldn't he have come to a conclusion, uh, Paul's right? But he doesn't do that. He's got some blinders on. He's thinking differently. We've already seen him reference to the fact that, hey, this is our livelihood. We make a profit from this, as, they, as those craftsmen would make either little shrines towards Diana or little, little uh, 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 statues of her, little things that people could have in their home or, or whatever that they would worship in, 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 in representation of her. He says, not only, verse 27, not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. This was what was going on. And so he's coming at this from this perspective of like, hey, our livelihood is at stake, but also this wonderful worship of Diana who is so great and so marvelous and so wonderful and so magnificent. 
I find that interesting because remember just a few verses back, we had believers there in Ephesus burning their books, deciding that after uh, uh, the value of 50,000 pieces of silver. Isn't that what it says there? 50,000 pieces of silver. It wasn't worth it to them. They were willing for God, for their understanding of God, they were willing to lose out on some economics. And yet these worshipers tie them together. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and so he challenges them in, in regards to this, and, and he lays this out and he says to them, look, this is what's going to happen if we don't deal with this. I want to show you something here, if I can. This picture, uh, Suzanne Pierce, and uh, she took this, and I believe this is what is described as the Temple of Diana. Isn't that interesting? If you study this out, you'll find out that this temple was probably the largest building in the Greek world at that time. It was a long, slender building, beautiful in its description. It had actually been built three times and destroyed every time, and these are the ruins that are left of that today. If you go over there to Greece, this is what you're going to, or not to Greece, but to Ephesus, where Ephesus was, this is what you're going to see. The very thing that Demetrius was worried about has happened. It's occurred already. And so once again, God begins to show his sovereignty. You know what the Word of God says in Revelation? It actually tells us that there is a temple in heaven. And I can guarantee you today that temple will never be in ruins like this. It will never be in ruins. It will exist for all of eternity. Why? Because the God that that temple represents is a God of eternity. He's an all-powerful God. I know you know that. But when you look at this in comparison, here's this goddess, quote goddess, right? Worship of this goddess, uh, 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 building a temple that ultimately is destroyed. This temple was known as one of the seven original man-made wonders of the world. Out of the seven natural or, uh, man-made wonders of the world, do you know how many of them are in existence in their originality? Like, in other words, they haven't fallen like this. Do you know how many are left? One, the Great Pyramids. All the others are in, have been destroyed. I want to show you another picture. Oh, there we go. That's a picture of one of the natural, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. Who made those? The God that we serve. The supreme God. It's a Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. When I got invited to go there, uh, you know, I, okay, you know, it should be on everybody's bucket list. I just thought, this is a hole in the ground, though, and we'll go, and it's beautiful, and it's, well, it's okay, you know, like, hey, yeah, we'll make a time of this. And I remember walking up the hill, and as I'm getting closer and closer to the edge, all of a sudden I'm starting to see down in, and the, I know I'm getting closer, and I'm getting closer to the edge, and then I'm looking, and it's like, oh my word, it takes your breath away. It's enormous, for one thing, and the colors, that picture doesn't even do it justice. You can see layers of rock and beauty, reds and, and tans down through there and shades. And then down at the very bottom, what is it, the Colorado River? Is that, I think that's what's down in there. It's green. And you can see it from the top. It's amazing. And you look at this and, of course, they say, you know, it took so many million years to make. And, no, it took our God that long to make it. That's how long it took him. 
He's able to do those kinds of things. And you know how many of the seven natural wonders of the world are still in existence today? All seven. Thank you for doing the math on that one. All seven. So tell me, who are you going to serve? Who's the God? Who's supreme? The town of Ephesus, the guardian we're going to see of this temple of Diana, and the temple itself are all destroyed in about 200 years from the time that Paul writes this, or Luke writes this, rather. 200 years, gone. But you serve a God who the things that he builds, they last forever. And you can trust him for that. Well, let's pick this back up here. He says, verse 28, Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath. They responded because they believed what he was telling them. And they cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. We're worshiping her. So the whole city was filled with confusion, it says, and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, I guess. They're Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So the whole city gets an uproar over this. What is going on? And we're, and we're all headed into this theater. I'm going to show you that picture in just a minute. But notice it said that these two individuals were Macedonians. I just want you to highlight this. Do you remember Paul has just sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia? Why didn't he send these guys? They're Macedonians. Why is it that God used those individuals and not these two? And we're not even actually told that. All we know is that God is in control. God has a plan, and we can trust him for those things, even when it looks like everything is lost, everything is in chaos. Even when the days are dark for us, we can trust him. He knows what he's doing. Let me show you a picture of this. This is the amphitheater that we believe anyways that he's talking about there, and so you can see how it's just able to handle all of this city, just come pouring in, right? And we're in trouble now because they're upset. And you can watch on our TV screens at times uh, when, when people like this get together and there's a big mob and a big uproar and the destruction that goes on as a part of that. And so lives were in danger on this. <clears throat> and so it says, tells us then in verse 30, Paul wanted to go into the people. That was his desire. That was, let's say, his will, what he wanted. But God began to teach him, uh-uh, that's not what I want. It says then, but the disciples would not allow him. These ones that, that he had been working in their lives and been a part of all of that, God had been using him in that front row seat kind of uh, you know, environment of seeing what God's doing in their lives. These guys are saying, hey, no, 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 you're not going in there. And then God, he just reinforced it. It says, then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent, him, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. So others got on board. Paul, don't do this. Don't come. And Luke doesn't record it specifically, but evidently he didn't go in there then. I'm grateful for that. You know why? Because we have the book of 1 Corinthians as a result of Paul staying alive and writing from this very town of Ephesus to those believers in Corinth. We also have the book of Romans, that he's writing to a group that he's going to go talk to. You talk about a, a, a theological book that thrills your heart with who you are in Christ, it's Romans, right? Why? Why is God 
in control. And why is he saying, Paul, you're not going in there, and I'm going to have some of my people tell you so that they'll convince you you're not going in there. He's not saying, well, let me tell you why, Paul. You're just going to have to trust me. In the heat of the moment, I want to go in there. We know this is true about Paul. We'll see in a little while he'll go to Jerusalem, and there'll be an uproar there. He'll be accused of some things that he didn't do. And he'll ask the, the centurion, he'll say, hey, would you give me an opportunity to speak and explain myself to these guys, right? Paul's interested in doing that. He, he wants them to understand. Here he cares for them too. He wants them to understand. But God says, no, now's not the time for that one. And so some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> That's typical mob mentality, isn't it? We're all mad about something, but we don't know what that something is. But we're mad together, and we're going to destroy anything we can get our hands on. Foolishness. So what happens in this? It says they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander um, motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So there's just continual uproar in this. And so the city clerk, who's probably the lead um, official of that town, he stands up. When the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? Like, like certainly you all know this, right? I don't have to tell you guys this. Now, just so you know, he is uh, inferring an honor onto them, at least from their perspective. He calls them there, he says, We're temp the, the whole city is a temple guardian. All of us together, all of you people in this amphitheater that I'm talking about, you all fit into this category of being temple guardians. You, you stand in the way. I was just teasing a couple guys here walking by, and they said, yeah, we're guardians of this. We got your back, Tim. And I'm like, yeah, right? That's good. That's what they thought too. Yeah, that's good. That's what we are. We're the temple guardians of this. Who does not know that? And of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Zeus. They had a meteorite that came there, that fell to the ground there, and they took that up and said, hey, this is from Zeus, and this is for our worship of Diana. I want to ask you something. Has anybody ever seen that rock? Does anybody ever know where that rock is? I've never seen it. Here they are guarding a goddess and a statue of a goddess that isn't even real. That's not even true. But the God who made that meteorite is the God, again, that you and I serve and know and are getting to know more and more. What a difference that we're seeing these ones. Why is it that Diana needs a temple guardian? Isn't she powerful enough? Isn't she able on her own to protect her own name? Isn't she powerful? <clears throat> How many of you know of anybody who worships the goddess Diana? Is anybody? I asked that question last night. Nobody raised their hand. Afterwards, a gentleman came up to me and he said, I know some people who do. <laughs> you might know some people who actually worship Allah. You might know some people who actually worship Buddha. You might know some people who worship a God that they believe is a God, but it's not a God. 
You might know them, but there's not too many who know anybody who worships Diana. So who you want to serve? The one whose name lasts forever? Or the one who needs a temple guardian to protect her name? And evidently they weren't very good at it because we've just seen the ruins on this. <clears throat> and so it says, therefore, since these things cannot be denied, he says, don't you love that? What foolishness. What assurance that he has that he is right. Since these cannot be denied, and you guys all know this. Oh, as human beings, we are so short-sighted, aren't we? If only he could see 200 years into the future and realize, uh, excuse me, Mr. Clerk, this is all going to get busted up. It's all going to get knocked down. And you talk about her magnificence being gone, and you talk about her falling into disrepute, and you talk about nobody worshiping her. Uh, that day's coming. But we have a God, since the beginning of creation, has been worshiped and will continue to be worshiped for all of eternity. I ask you, who's supreme in this? <clears throat> so he says, since these cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of, of your goddess. And then he goes on to say this, therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen uh, have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this dis disorderly gathering. He actually flips the tables on them. They're coming in, they're unlawful in what they're doing. They were not allowed to be gathering together in a group that size for no reason whatsoever and to do that in such a disorderly way. And what he's actually reminding them is, listen, the Romans who are over us in all of this, they're, they're, if they hear about this, we're in trouble. It, was, it could be as severe as some of those city council people could have lost their lives as a result of this. It could have been where the heavy hand of Rome comes in. Hey, we're not dealing with this anymore. We're always going to put down this upheaval. That's how they dealt with that. And so he's warning them, listen, guys, since all of this, you guys don't have to make such a big uproar. We don't have to do this. In fact, we're unlawful in all of this. And he vindicates the very ones that they're upset over. God's using a pagan individual to vindicate his own children. That's how he's doing it. This is the kind of God that you and I serve. And so it says then, and when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. He let them go. We're going to pick this up next week, now into chapter 20, and we're going to see Paul says, okay, in light of that, now I'm, and I'm going to get going on my journey. We're going to see him move on then. We're going to watch God at work, down through the number of years here, ultimately bringing him, as I said before, to a city called Rome. You know how he's going to get there? On the dime of Rome. They're going to pay his way. It's not going to be the most pleasant thing, just so you know. But God is going to show, oh, Paul, I'm getting you there. Oh, don't worry about this. I, I've got this one. But here's the deal. You're going to get there a different way than what you think. But when we read through it, what we're going to find is that Paul actually has opportunity with the whole household of Caesar 
Do you think that if he was on his own, hey, I'm going to Rome and I'm going to come there and I'm asking you guys to help me along because I'm headed for Spain and, and you know what? I actually want to, get a, I want to get in touch with Caesar's household. I really would like to have a ministry with them too. You think you guys could work that out for me? Ha <laughs> ha, right. We're being persecuted by this very Caesar. What do you think? We're going to actually introduce you? I don't think so, Paul. Right? We'll help you along the way. But God cares enough about Caesar's household that he actually brings one of his kids all the way on Caesar's dime to be able to share the gospel with them. He cares about us all, doesn't he? He's sovereign. He sees everything. He knows everything. So here's the deal for you and I. We have the opportunity to study his word and learn about these things. Be reminded of them. Because I think that's what's happening for you. I don't think it's new. You're being reminded. Oh, Tim's talking about things that I already know. The question is, how do you live? How do you live? Well, God is so gracious, isn't he? He allows us in the school, in in his school. Remember Paul, he's teaching in the school of Tyrannus, right? Like that's where he was teaching from. God places us us in the school all the time. And I suggest to you, let's not waste the credit hours. Let's trust him for the things that he's allowing into our hearts that begins to teach us more and more about who he is. Because if we do not know who he is, we will not trust him. It's that simple. And we can book learn them, and that's good, but that's not the end of it. We want to know him experientially too. We want to know that when God says, I can be trusted, we're willing to say, oh, guys, you can count on that because I've put it to the test. I've seen him at work. There have been times in my life when it's been so dark and I've wondered if I was even going to make it through it. And yet God in his own perfect timing, not when I was whining and complaining to him and saying, you got to get me out of this. But in his own perfect time, he took me through it in such a way that he taught my heart. And then we're a testimony to people about that. And people, I actually, last night, there was a couple that came up to me and they just said, hey, would you be praying for us? And they began to describe some of what they were going through. And you know what? I loved it. Why? Because as they're telling me these things, I'm thinking, Lord, I can identify with that. I understand what that's like. They're describing things that, that bring flashbacks to my mind of, of events that have, uh, have occurred. I'm so thankful to, to have been through them so that I can look back on them and then I can actually say to them, guys, oh, be encouraged in this. I know it looks dark today, but with eyes of faith, you know God and you can trust him for this. And you can see. And sometimes he'll take you to the limits, man, where you think all despair. It's just, oh, nothing's going right here. Sometimes he lets us know what he's doing. Sometimes he lets us know in part what he's doing. Just like with Paul. I'm taking you to Rome. You just don't know how I'm going to get you there. Sometimes he keeps quiet and doesn't let us know anything. But he's worth trusting in all of those. Instead of just the ones that we see. Because you know what I find? The ones that I see... I tend to analyze and sit in the role of judge of God himself as to whether or not that's the way he ought to do it. And you know how I know that? Because of the discontent in my heart at times of the way in which he's managing my life. But I'm here to tell you that God is a better manager of your life and mine than we are. 
of our own life. He is the one who can lead us and direct us. And there are times in the privileges of life when we're able to look back on some of those things and see that, and we go, whoop, whoop, we're praising you, God, for that. But I'm telling you, we can go, whoop, whoop, as we begin to go through those things too, because we know the God who's walking in those circumstances with us. Is that not amazing or what? Because God is able to do things abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think is what he's able to do. Let's pray. Father, woo, for the first time, Lord, I was able to quit before my time's up. <laughs> the miracles still happen, God. Thank you for that. Oh, but thank you so much for reminding us. You are a God who sits on a throne. You are so in control. Father, would you reveal to us more about yourself? Will you teach us who you are? We really do want to trust you. I think deep down in our hearts and our soul, there's a longing to know you and know that you really are who you say you are, that we could actually really do trust you. Lord, it is, it is that way. I mean, we're not like the city clerk. We're not like Demetrius. We're not saying things that are good words, but they don't, they're not really true. It's true, Father. You really are who you say you are. Would you just keep showing us that, though? Would you help us to see that? That in our growth of, of understanding, that might become more and more of the foundation that we live in where we then choose to trust you. You're not forcing us to. You ask us to live with eyes of faith. So that means, in part, you won't always tell us what's going on. But you've given us enough, Lord. As we look around and we see things like the Grand Canyon, or maybe it's just the everyday issues of life, the small little things that happen where, where we just, wow, that's God. Maybe it's a rainbow that is there in the sky, or maybe it's just the beauty of something that you've created. Maybe it's a set of circumstances where you just orchestrate it and you put us right in the right place at the right time. Maybe it's just a thousand and one things, Father, that tell us who you are, that we can rejoice in. Teach us more about ourselves too, Father. I'm convinced that these kinds of stories are to help us to see that ah, oh, even though we study and we learn, Really, the heart that we have is a deceitful heart. It actually really does believe that we can take care of ourselves, that we're sovereign over all, or at least wants to be. And so we're tempted by this, Lord. You know that. You know we fall into this all the time. So use these things to teach our hearts. And as you do, I pray that we would share it with one another, that we would encourage one another. Keep trusting you. Father, as we do, we look back on that, we rejoice together in amazement at who you are and what you've done. So thank you for using us here at FBC. Thank you for the opportunities that we have in front of us that we can trust you for those too. We look forward to these things, that you might be magnified and glorified and that your word might spread all around us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.